0: All right, I want to take a moment to thank our presenting partners, the Utah Department of Public Safety, Secuvant, the Utah Department of Technology Services, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. Every week on this program, these terrific partners provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. Valcom gets IT right. Whether your business is a startup or an enterprise, the Valcom team has the experience and the tools to make you more effective at what you do. Valcom will be more than just your IT reseller. They'll become an extension of your IT team. Find out more at vlcmtech.com. That's vlcmtech.com. Secuvant is a leading network security company specializing in creative, customized solutions that meet the needs of small and medium-sized businesses. They offer a wide range of services from managed security and virtual CISO consulting to cyber risk advisory and data breach recovery assistance. No matter what your specific security requirements may be or what your comfort level with IT is in general, Secuvant will map your cybersecurity program to the business area's that are relevant to you, including brand and reputation, legal liability, intellectual property, business disruption, and so much more. For more information, call 1 855 Secuvant or visit secuvant.com. That's S E C U V A N T.com. All right, welcome to the Cyber24 podcast. Wesley Smith, Marty Carpenter, we're joined today by David Sonnenreich, the Deputy Attorney General in the Office of Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes. And whenever we have you here, David, and we're always happy to have you here. Such a great show last time. Uh, There's a disclaimer that we want to put out there because you have ongoing investigations and things of this sort. So with that in mind, before we get into what's going to be, I think, a really fascinating conversation, let's do all the legal niceties. What exactly do we need to disclaim today? Thank you, Marty. While I'm here...
1: While I'm here uh, doing public outreach for the office, I have to make sure that you understand that the views I expressed today are my own. They don't necessarily represent the views of the Attorney General's office, unless I state so explicitly they don't represent our position in any potential or ongoing litigation. And most importantly, they're not legal advice. You shouldn't rely on them as legal advice. If you think you have a legal problem, go talk to your lawyer and have that person give you
0: legal advice that's specific to your situation. Thanks, Marty, for yeah. letting me get that well, in. With that said, <laughs> my lawyer's sitting here. What, <laughs> yeah, that's great. great to make sure that I'm covered at least. Uh, Today's topic, we want to talk about an important distinction that needs to be made between fraud alert, credit freeze, and credit locks. We have had an insane number of high-profile data breaches that lead to potential for identity theft or other types of fraud. And for consumers all across the country— they hear a couple of things that the size, every, every time one of these things happens, here's the size of the breach, here's who may be impacted, and you're going to want to go do something. And that something is often, depending on which channel, you're, which network or which reporting outlet you're listening to, uh, a fraud alert, a credit freeze, or a credit lock. So let's break down today for those listening what are the differences between those three and what are the advantages and disadvantages of each. So, with that, David, just maybe we start there. Sure. Well, The differences between a fraud alert, a credit freeze, and a credit lock. Sure. First of all, it's where they come from.
1: Um, Credit freezes are basically creatures of state law. Uh, Credit locks are an industry response to the credit freeze laws. And I'll explain why I mean that in a minute. But then finally, fraud alerts are federal law that the FTC basically enforces. And fraud alerts are very different from credit freezes and credit locks. Credit freezes and credit locks are kind of similar. They're just different mechanisms. Fraud alerts are quite different. So let's start with um, with the fraud alert. Um, a fraud alert is something that you can put on your credit reporting system with the pre- credit reporting companies that basically just says, hey, I have concern that maybe someone will use my credit improperly. So I want you to know anyone who uses my credit who's going to do business with me should check to make sure it's really me you're doing business with and that, and that I'm not, that you're not playing into the hands of somebody who's trying to steal my identity. That's what they are, that's for. And a fraud alert can be put on very easily. It's free. That's one of its advantages. A second advantage is there are three major credit reporting companies in the country Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. With a fraud alert, you only have to contact one of them. Oh, great. And they are required by law to contact the others. Got so it. So you have one point of reference. Now, the downside is it lasts only 90 days. But so you can renew it, and the second renewal is long-term, five years.
2: Oh, okay. So yeah. if you yeah. do it for 90 days, you yeah. put a tickler on your schedule to to remind you, you come back 89 days later, you renew it, right. and then it's on your, on your credit for five years. Yeah.
1: And a perfect example of why you would want a fraud alert would be if you suffered a personal data breach, through, say, your wallet getting stolen. And most actual identity thefts still come from those traditional sources of theft, people stealing people's mail out of their mailbox, getting several different bills of yours, and between them putting together information about you. Uh, it's really the the cyber data thefts are actually lesser uh, um, sources of identity theft Interesting. than these little things like uh, checks. I always tell people, please stop using checks in public places. <laughs> um, right, because there's so much data on there and they're right. just giving it away. Anyway, so that's what a credit freeze does. Uh, uh, that's what a fraud alert does for you. It gives you the ability to notify people that they should be sure they're dealing with you. And it's a very simple process. So once you yeah. put a fraud alert on
2: yep. and uh, somebody applies for credit, or you do, mm-hmm. you go to buy a car and they uh, look into it. They get in touch with one of the credit agencies. The credit agency then – tell us how that works. Does the credit agency then call you? When When anyone
1: runs a credit report on you, they will see the fraud alert. What they do with it is up to them. But they are now notified that you are concerned about your credit and whether somebody is using them properly. Now, if you're out there buying a car, it's possible they will know that it's you by th- other things like your driver's license. Right. <laughs> so presumably that wouldn't be a situation. But let's say that you are responding online to an offer of credit that a bank that you don't do business with gives you. Just They send you one, say, you're pre-approved for credit. Right. And you like the deal. You want to do it. They know they have to verify you a little more than they would otherwise to make sure you're really the person on the other end of that computer. So what if they don't? Well, it exposes them to some potential risk, I think, that they, they would have uh, liability in that case. Because if, they have notice. Right. They have notice. And, and you know, if it will also make it easier for you to correct your own credit problem if somebody does create an identity theft because you can say at that point you can put in your credit record uh, – Folks, I did notify everybody that I thought there was a problem potentially here, and then you went ahead and gave these. Right, okay. <laughs> right. So, so it's going to be helpful to you to protect you down
0: the road. Okay. Mostly yep. just puts the onus on them a little bit more. Correct.
1: It, that's the main purpose of it is <clears throat> to let everyone know I've got a situation going on here.
0: Make sure you're dealing with me and not with somebody pretending. To would so you, would you recommend that people put a fraud alert on just – anyway? It seems like there's no bad reason to do it.
2: That's what I was going to ask. Is this just a best practice in today's world?
1: You know, there are some people who are are suggesting that. I'm not sure because what will happen is at some point we will end up with something that is almost uh, difficult to enforce. Um, But I think that where we're going in the real world, now that data breaches are ubiquitous and probably most of us are the victims of a data breach involving at least some of our most important data, uh, if not all of it in different areas and different data breaches, um, I think we're eventually going to come to a point where the fraud alert is almost redundant because that's what best practices for businesses are going to be. They're going to require – Good point. Yeah. They're going to require biometric verification or or dual verification systems, right? Right. Um, They're not just going to accept somebody sending something to them by a single computer contact and saying, well, that's that person.
2: Right. Right. Makes sense.
1: So now let's turn maybe to credit freezes and credit locks.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Credit freezes and credit locks are very similar devices in terms of what they do. What they do is they prevent somebody who does not have a business relationship with you from running your credit. That's the basic thing they do. Now, the problem with that is Uh, The advantage of it is, of course, by not running your credit, it makes it uh, unlikely that they will give you credit, meaning if somebody else has stolen your identity already, it makes it unlikely that they will be able to get a credit card through some third-party vendor in your name. That's what they're designed to do is to stop that kind of a practice. People think they do more than they do. Here's something that credit freezes and credit locks will not do, nor nor for that matter fraud alerts. They will do nothing to protect your existing credit card uh, from misuse. (laughs) <laughs>
2: Good point. Okay, yeah, yeah that, uh, your I existing mean, bank account—it can still be used. That's something that mis- you need to know, misused. right? Yep,
1: got it. Uh, um, so you know, they, they it's use, new credit. Correct. It is limited to they stop people from checking your credit report if you're talking about a credit
0: freeze and a credit lock. And I think a lot of people misunderstand yeah. that because they think, "Well, I've got, oh, I've, I may have been breached. I'm mm-hmm. going to put a credit freeze on, and even though my credit card number is now out on the black market." My credit card will be frozen. No. A completely different thing.
1: Exactly, totally different thing. Um, if you're really concerned about your credit card, call up your credit card issuer and say, "I'm really concerned about the security of my credit card." Uh, maybe you we you shut this one down. Can, give can me you issue one, me right? Right? Right.
2: Yeah. a new one? Um, what about a fraud alert? What does a fraud alert do for your existing credit? A uh, credit card? Nothing. Does that tell nothing okay. at all? It nothing. has no no Same benefit thing.
1: really, except for the fact that it is possibly helpful again if you if you are actually if somebody is using your credit card improperly i would rather be able to say hey folks see i sent a fraud alert to uh to the credit reporting services i knew i had a problem and i found this set of fake charges on my card two days later i've been on the ball on this thing and it'll help maybe smooth over the process of course with credit cards you have have certain amount of protection against unlawful charges
2: but somebody does pay for those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. OK. So that's the fraud alert uh, and then and then the credit freeze. And did you mention that the credit freeze is a uh, creature of state law? It is.
1: Credit freezes are based on state law. Every state does them slightly differently. Um, for example, the amount of fees that can be charged uh, changes. And one thing about credit freezes and credit locks, you have to get them for all three companies. All the time.
2: Good, good yeah. distinction. So you
1: have to, you have to go to Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Put them on, if you need. And it will to, cost you money. It, it depends on the state. Okay. Uh, Utah has a reasonableness standard. Usually that's ten dollars to put it on or change it or remove it.
2: Yeah. And um, and for both, right? Ten dollars to change it. So that's yeah. thirty dollars. Then you can go to with, put a credit freeze on if you use all three. Exactly. And then thirty dollars to remove it. If you're looking for a new credit card or you're looking to purchase a car or something like that. And then if you want to put it back on, another $30. You're getting the picture. Got it.
1: And, um, of course, there are, that's that's one problem right there is you're dealing with three entities and you are constantly have to put on, take off, put on, take off. Right. Now, the state laws vary in terms of the mechanics involved, how exactly you do those things. So what the industry did is it came up with these um, – Credit locks. A credit lock is basically the industry's response to credit-free statutes. And what credit locks do um, is they are apps basically. And uh, right now TransUnion has its up and running and the other two are almost up and running. I think Equifax is going into place in January if I recall. They've been busy with yeah, other stuff. They're very busy with other stuff. That is, that, <laughs> yeah, Yes, nightmare. Marty, but they're, being, they're also being very clear. This is coming. You're going to have an option. So you don't have to necessarily yeah, – this may be a better choice for you. It still functions the same way. Basically, they keep new people looking into your credit from getting credit reports. Uh, the difference is that instead of using a variety of patchwork of state law-based uh, how to mechanically do it, whether you have a pin issued to you or whatever – they're doing an app, and it's supposed to be one system for their entire, for all of Equifax, uh, regardless of where you are in the country. And you should be able to both go on and off instantly. And I don't think they charge you for going on and off. I think the different free schedule because it's easier. Um, some states have set free schedules, and some don't even permit fees for uh, credit freezes. So the credit lock technology is going to be a simplification of the credit freeze, but they still work the same way. And one other point I want to make about this is they do not prevent your existing. Um, creditors from obtaining new credit reports on you. Oh, Only OK. New ones. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And that's important because often you get your credit offers from people you already have doing some business with. So is that – are you talking about the credit freeze or the credit lock or both? Credit freeze and credit lock. Both. OK. Both of them do not restrict the ability of people who are already doing business with you to obtain the new version of your
2: credit uh, report. Um but, is there uh, any way to address that other than not doing business with anybody? <laughs> you know?
1: Well, well theoretically they know who you are, so there's a different relationship. In other words, they're going right. to you know, they would they would theoretically be on notice if you suddenly asked for a new credit card uh from your existing credit card vendor. And you said, except you want it sent to, uh, you know, California. Right. And, um, and by the way, here's my new email address and my new everything. <laughs> and, of course, you know what happens when you change your email address on an account like that is they immediately send a notification to your old email if they're probably best practices.
2: Right. 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 OK. So
1: you'll, you'll be aware, hey, somebody is using that. But it's those new people, the people who want to make an offer to you of a pre-approved credit, for example, they wouldn't know whether you live in Utah or California.
0: Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more from David Sonnerich from the Utah Attorney General's office right after this. DigiCert is a leading provider of scalable security solutions for a connected world. The most innovative companies, including the Global 2000, choose DigiCert for its expertise in identity and encryption for web servers and Internet of Things devices. DigiCert supports SSL and TLS and other digital certificates for PKI deployments at any scale through its Certificate Lifestyle Management Platform, CertCentral. The company has been recognized with dozens of awards for its enterprise-grade management platform, fast and knowledgeable customer support, and market-leading growth. For the latest DigiCert news and updates, visit DigiCert.com or follow at DigiCert on Twitter. That's D-I-G-I-C-E-R-T, DigiCert.com. Okay, so you need to address your organization's cybersecurity challenges, but you aren't quite ready to hire someone full-time. So have you considered outsourcing your cyber risk management? ID Bailey's virtual information security officer will partner with you to defend your organization against cyber threats at a fraction of the cost of bringing someone on full-time. A virtual information security officer from ID Bailey will work with your business year-round testing your systems, educating your team, and managing your organization's risk. For more information, go to idebailey.com slash virtual. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash virtual. Take control of your organization's cybersecurity now at idebailey.com slash virtual. So your employee who's worked for you since day one opened an email attachment that wasn't safe, and suddenly your IT department is working overtime to get everything back on track. Sadly, most ransomware attacks are delivered by either spear phishing, spam, or socially engineered campaigns, open from inside your organization. Your data is only as secure as your weakest link and your largest attack surface happens to be your end users. To solve the problem, you need Sophos Fish Threat, an easy-to-use customizable phishing attack simulator with training for your end users. Fish Threat allows you to simulate phishing campaigns, push trainings, set up email reminders, and quiz your end users, all while your IT department receives top-notch reporting to give you insight into individual, departmental, and company-wide performance ratings. So let Valcom and Sophos help you create a culture of careful clicking with Sophos Fish Threat. Visit vlcmtech.com/sophos. That's vlcmtech.com/sophos to learn more and request a free trial. The cyber breach at FedEx cost the company $300 million, all because FedEx was not insured for cyber breach losses. Could your business withstand a $300 million cyber loss? I'm guessing the answer is no. Over half a million small to medium-sized businesses will close their doors as the result of a cyber event. So what should you do to protect your business? Talk to the cyber liability professionals at Hayes Companies. Policy placement is only one step in an overall risk management approach to manage your firm's cyber liability exposure. At Hayes Companies, they design a program specifically for you, customized to your business priorities. For more information, call 801-580-5501 or visit hayescompanies.com. That's 801-580-5501 or hayescompanies.com, H-A-Y-S companies.com. All right, welcome back. Cyber24 Podcast, Marty Carpenter, Wes Smith. We're joined today by David Sonnenreich from the Utah Attorney General's Office. He's a Deputy Attorney General in that office. And Wes, you had a question.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, David, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're, we're really interested in learning all of the distinctions between the, the credit fraud alert, the credit freeze, and the, and the, uh, the credit lock. When we think of credit locks now, and these are industry responses to the credit freeze issues, are we near a future where you can have an app from all three credit bureaus and you can st- instantly turn it on and off your freeze?
1: Yes. We're, we're probably, I would say, within the next six months, you'll see uh, the ability to do that with three apps. But that's at this point, you'll have to have three, three. apps on your phone. You'll have to hit all three buttons. I would hope at some point that that can be coordinated so they only have to deal with one of them as opposed to three of them. That would be beautiful. But given that they have different uh, different um, rights to bill under different state laws, different desires to do so, that may be a little bit further down the road.
2: Is there any talk about uh, the collaboration that would be the best for the consumer and that is one point of contact?
1: Um, I can't speak for the industry too specifically. But certainly a lot of people have commented on how that's a better way to go, Wes.
2: It'll be much
1: more efficient and it'll probably in the long run benefit the three credit reporting companies too because they won't have inconsistencies.
2: I would agree with that. I I think that it would be very helpful for them. Um, The understanding that I have, though, and correct me if your understanding is different. The the business model for the credit bureaus is when they do a check on credit, they get compensated for that. So the more folks who have a freeze on credit, the less uh, the pool of available customers is. Does that sound right? Sure. Okay. So there is a built-in disincentive for them to offer easy credit freezes and easy credit locks because it's not the business that they're in. It's like taking customers off the market. I don't know if, that, I don't know if I'm understanding that wrong or right, but it seems to be the right thing for the consumer.
1: I think it's the right thing for the consumer and also any time that you have a level playing field in a situation like this, the effect is that all businesses, the three of them that is, uh, all are affected the same way. If you actually had everybody doing things the same exact way, say we only use credit locks and we had the same rules apply nationally, then um, – Okay, we don't make money in this particular fashion. So we have to increase our fees to our customers who are asking for credit reports, for example, to cover maintaining the credit lock apps and the people who need those to be in place. Um, There are lots of reasons, by the way, why you you, you probably may want to think before putting a credit freeze or credit lock on. And the FTC has some information on their website I encourage people to look at as to the differences between these uh, devices and some of the downsides of them. Um,
2: give people, us an example uh, of a I'll downside. I'll give you a
1: really good, a simple example. Credit checks are done for a lot of reasons, and it's possible to forget that you have a credit freeze or a credit lock in place. Under Utah law, if you have a credit freeze in place and someone tries to pull your credit who can't do it because of that, they can treat it as if you have no credit and no credit history. They just treat it as a zero report. And uh, so that can lead to you being denied something. Um, For example, let's say that you, uh, out of an abundance of caution, uh, are concerned that your 16-year-old may have had data breached in some big public data breach. So uh, as a favor to your 16-year-old, you put a credit freeze on for that person. They don't really know it or remember it or being 16 years old. They don't quite get what's going on. And two or three years later now, they're trying to apply to uh, uh, do a background check for an apartment. And it comes back as, this person has no credit. Um, and there's a, a freeze on it for some reason. That could be a reason why they're denied the apartment, or maybe the, the landlord simply will simply say, "Oh, we need a larger deposit than we thought from you." Right. So that's a real life situation where you might not even know that the reason was that you'd forgotten that, or this kid didn't know that there was a credit freeze.
2: David, tell us: are, is there any action at the Utah level to create these locks? Do you know of, of anything that's happening right now on that front?
1: Well, what I can say is the locks are being put in place. The industry is creating the credit locks. I think there are people looking at the question of whether we can use the credit lock technology as a substitute for these divergent state Uh, credit freeze laws uh, to allow for more uniformity and a a simpler experience
2: for consumers. When we learn more about that, I'd be very interested in having you back on and and talk about that uh, more openly. My opinion is that the future includes being able to navigate these with more ease and that consumers will demand that as their information is exposed more and more.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more, but I do think we have to be cautious of one thing, and that is the uh, credit freeze laws including Utah's, allow you to get a credit freeze put on even if you're not computer literate. And one of the concerns we have is there are populations that are not computer literate and um, so we want to make sure that whatever technology is used, uh, there is a a physical backup, a way that you can send a letter into somebody, verify who you are and that you want to have this protection placed on your account Uh, and then can handle things by phone, for example.
2: It it seems actually – that's a great point. It seems like the most vulnerable population might be the population that is not technologically literate.
1: That is absolutely right. Um, When I talk to elderly, for example, one of the things – some elderly people are not as
2: computer literate
1: or as interested in it. And they'll say, well, why should I have a a, a computer bank account set up when I can walk down to my bank and get a, a statement anytime I want as to what my current balance is? And I say, well, one good reason is because if you open up your own, no one else will open up one in your name <laughs> um, right so so there are reasons to do it, but the point is these vulnerable populations usually need help with those things
2: that 's a great reminder that there's some nuance to this legislation, and that working with the credit bureaus will be really important in getting this right and and there are uh, some details that the average person might not understand, might not know. So the right way to do this is collaboratively to figure out with both the businesses and the consumer represented, uh, the consumer representatives as well as uh, policymakers to figure out where the right landing spot is on this.
0: Absolutely. David Sonnenreich is the Deputy Attorney General of the Utah Attorney General's office. David, thanks so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Thank you for having me on uh, Cyber 24.
0: All right. Before we go, I want to thank our presenting partners, Secuvant, the Utah Department of Public Safety, the Utah Department of Technology Services, and the Utah Attorney General's Office. We also want to thank our distribution partners at utahpolicy.com for helping spread the word. We recorded today's episode at the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute. They're helping Utahns make informed decisions. We remind you to visit our website at cyber24.us. That's cyber the number two, the number four, dot us, where you can find more episodes of this podcast as well as some other helpful information. You can follow us on Facebook by searching Cyber Twenty Four. We hope you'll follow us on Twitter as well at Cyber Twenty Four underscore. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you may be listening to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors: Valcom, Digicert, Hayes Companies, and Ida Bailey. Please support them the way they support our podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.